welcome to Joiners, the podcast with Tim and Danny, where we take a casual stroll through the world of hospitality by chatting with its most colorful characters. That's right. Danny, good to see you again. What's up, Tim? We've had a lot of interviews this week. We sure have. But I'm not experiencing fatigue. No, it's just, uh, it's invigorating. Yeah. Yeah. What was that? We did our hundredth this week? No. Danny, three with <laughs> three interviews this week. We we per- perfected the trifecta. We did. We we learned that you can't do more than one in a day. That's like tough. We have done it, but it's better. Like we could do a million in a row as long as they're on different days. <laughs> we can do a, hun- a million consecutive days. days. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I hear you. Um, but sure. this week we have a pretty special guest uh, who has known her calling. In the hospitality world from a young age which is kind of cool to see mm-hmm. hospitality since day one and she has taken a unique approach to hospitality as well and done many many cool things yeah both like for corporate uh in like a corporate setting as well as uh her own company she started uh the nascent group about 10 years ago um and is just taking a unique perspective on events and and hospitality and creating kind of communities around concepts to integrate them with with the people and businesses around it um, yeah she's a world builder yes we're talking of course about cecilia cuff um we talk about her her path from it's really taken her all over the world and uh she's uh, gotten odd requests from celebrities <laughs> while handling for events uh, she's got a lot of fun stories so we hope you enjoy this one so without further ado here's our conversation with cecilia Yeah, well, well welcome. Cecilia. Welcome in. All right, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Wait, so did you say you preferred Cecilia over CC? I always introduce myself as Cecilia, and so in Chicago, my entire life and career, I was always CC. I left Chicago, design hotels, restaurants, and became Cecilia as like an adult. And yeah. I moved back to Chicago, and I'm just CC. I'm back all over. Back <laughs> so all it doesn't matter. I, I'm always CC. Yeah. Any other good nicknames? Just CC. Did you ever go to Timothy? I was never a Timothy. I was never, I mean, that is my name, but I was never Timmy either. <laughs> I actually have no a great Timmy. friend named Timmy. She's an incredible bartender, but I can't say her name without saying Timmy. How, how does she, how does <laughs> she spell it? That's what I just it? thought about, too. T-I-M-M-I-E. Yeah. yeah. So I know my friend had an Aunt Tim growing up, but she mm-hmm. spelled it T-Y-M. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. Weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Edgy, I mean, edgy. I only hear people calling you Timmy Cricket. Yeah, wow, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I think it, maybe you just say that. <laughs> so anyway, so did you? You're, you're from Chicago originally. I'm from Chicago. Well, I was born in Philly, but I say my oh. my formative years were Chicago. You know those times when you can remember like your first time you I don't know saw saw Anthony Bourdain or like yeah. ate, ate somewhere where you felt special. You yeah, know? that has all happened in Chicago. So and were you always like into food and hospitality since day one? My mom tells stories from when I was like five. Called she called me Little Hospitality. I would bring <laughs> trays of food to the trash men when they would deliver oh, trash. Wow. So I've just, I don't, it's just. So you like cra- taking care of people. I, I enjoy it. I've always had a life of service and I don't know. I don't want to do anything else, which is really strange, but. It's great. It's not glamorous, but. She's I, a lifer. I, I yeah, love, I love taking care of people. Finding your calling early on at age <laughs> five is pretty cool. Exactly. Um, so when did you move here from Philly? Um, we moved a little bit. My dad was a salesman, so we moved around. He 
did like AT&T sales. And so I think I'd never understood the magnitude of being like a young black family and and him being having a great position. So we would move to these places. But I realized when we finally got to the Chicago suburbs that he was just trying to find a place that was safe for us to live. Yeah. Um, my parents met in college and, you know, they have always been really strong, but didn't really have I, they didn't have a lot of money. So my mom was a reporter. My dad. Um, again, was like he was like I don't know. My dad's always done, like taking computers apart and putting them back together. Yeah. So we moved to Chicago suburbs when I was in high school um, in Palatine. Actually, wow. Shout out Fremd High School. All right, cool. Fremd, I uh, played tennis there. Really? I mean, not at the high. I played against Fremd High okay. School. They were very good. I, I graduated and I've never been back. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I feel. Are you not to the high school, but is your family still in Palatine? No, my mom, uh, my parents moved to Puerto Rico, actually. So I, oh, my, my mom's Cuban. And so cool. we cool. went to be closer to our family who lives in Puerto Rico. So my mom lives out in Puerto Rico, which is great. Wow. Do you visit often? Uh, as much as I can with being in the hospitality industry. Yeah. Is it at least <laughs> once a year? Uh, recently it has been. So, cool. um, she also, we're trying to make the move out to, to Miami also. So before wow. I moved back to Chicago permanently, I was in Miami for a moment okay. in the place that I thought I was going to call home and then got called back to Chicago. Yeah. It just uh. keeps bringing you back. Exactly. Restaurants come first. So yeah. Right. Wait, what was the project that brought you back? Uh, Bronzo Winery. Bronzo Winery was Great. the project. So I was trying to design a restaurant while in Miami on Zoom during COVID <laughs> and realized really quickly that it's spatially i'm not capable of doing that yeah. um so to be able to feel it really feel and look and and have the to understand you know the vo- the flow of what the restaurant was going to be i had to come back so cool. i want to get to bronzeville but i want to start back at the yeah, beginning definitely. of the career so what was uh i guess what'd you study in school i studied <laughs> i studied education i actually although i loved hospitality i always wanted to be a teacher um so i went to uic for education um, business and business management but when I was graduating, I got my first job as an eighth grade teacher. How was that? Don't start with eighth grade. <laughs> yeah. I don't. Don't. It's it funny. Was, I always wanted to be a teacher as well, and I I taught like middle school for a summer. And uh, you taught I, middle school for a summer? I did. Summer yeah. school? You would be yeah. a cool teacher. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I don't I, know about that, but <laughs> and then I ultimately got rejected from Teach for America, and. Uh, I was spiteful and young, and I was like, well, then I'm not going to go into teaching. Um, (laughs) What were you teaching? I taught, like, Spanish, English, and math. There was a program called Breakthrough Collaborative. It was like a summertime Teach for America, and this happened to be in New Haven. And so, yeah. Nice. Yeah, I I taught eighth grade just out of college, and I, you know, I've always, I always wanted to be in education also, but... I, that was a horrible experience. <laughs> yeah, what what made it bad? I mean, I know eighth graders are just annoying. Eighth grade, I think it was, it was like on the south side anyway. of Chicago. And I mean, it was there wasn't enough funding for schools. There yeah. wasn't enough support for teachers. I was just coming out of high school and they had painted this picture of, as a student, you think you know what the life of a teacher looks like. But yeah. then when you become the teacher, it just it's different. You know, I wound up feeding the students because some of them like didn't have food before they came to class and couldn't concentrate or mm. you know just being able to have those one-on-one things where as a young adult where I was still trying to figure myself out I wasn't ready to give that guidance to mm. eighth graders and it was it was the magnitude of the job and then they're like well we'll pay you $13 an hour so that on top of it I'm like this doesn't add yeah. up yeah, like, and no. also having always been in the hospitality industry I've worked in the hospitality industry since I was old enough to work and my mom talks about you know she would drive me 
she drove me to like 10 different job interviews so I could just be a greeter. I wanted to be a hostess so bad. <laughs> um, and so nobody would hire me. And so I think I worked at like Max and Irma's and like Dick's Last Resort, like all these really strange places. Yeah. Um, suburbs. Yeah, spots. Suburb, suburb spots. And But I love the hospitality industry. So while I was teaching in the morning, I would work at night so I could actually make enough money to live. Um, and at a certain point it just became impossible because then after I would work at night, then it was like the time when Wicker Park was like really fun and sexy and there was so many things going on. And mm. so then I would just go out until five in the morning. I don't know how I would do that, but <laughs> it, that was my life. And so something had to go and it was teaching. So yeah. what yeah. were the spots in Wicker at the time? Ooh. So I would say like the era of like Tuesday night, I think was sub T. Mm-hmm. And then Blue Note, when it was still Blue Note, before it was, I think, Flatiron. Yeah. Red Dog was a really good night. Uh, Sub T on Thursdays for Papa G. I think he's still there. Hmm. Evil Olive. But this is before Evil Olive. This okay. is when Evil Olive existed, and they were doing, Zebo was doing cool parties at Evil Olive uh, with Scion. Do you remember that car? It doesn't even exist yeah. anymore. So Scion was doing these cool pop-up parties that were free at Evil Olive. So that oh. was for a while. So, I mean, it was it was the times when, in my life, you know, you would kind of dance, go out and dance all night long, and the world was your oyster. Yeah, for And sure. my world was only Milwaukee Avenue from, like, Division <laughs> Same. to <Yeah>. David. <laughs> Um, but no, it was, it was incredible time, you know, and I think I created, I would say some of my lifelong friends from those moments and riding bikes tonight in Chicago. Like that's how I'll always remember Chicago. So, and were you living in Wicker at this time or I lived across the street. So that's actually how I met my current business partner, uh, Eric from at Brownsville winery. I lived across the street from the silver room, okay. uh, like right above our Timio's bakery. They haven't done a thing to that, that apartment. It's still exactly <laughs> the same. I think all those apartments, I looked at the one above, uh, Lubinsky's furniture, mm-hmm. maybe like eight years ago mm-hmm. and it was just like they're like okay so you're gonna have a it was just a wide open loft and like okay and then your roommate's gonna be in a room on the in the corner and then this is all shared space and shannon and i were like nah, i don't know about that but you could like <laughs> see there are like holes in the floor to see down into the furniture showroom on purpose I no, I no. mean it was okay. it was gnarly <laughs> but it did have like a full rooftop on, on milwaukee avenue that's not the old uprise loft no um I don't know. I assume, okay. I just always assumed it was Lubinsky's since like Interesting. forever. Oh, Milwaukee Avenue was a great street. And again, those are, were the years that I remember and some of my favorite years still. So how long did teaching last? About a year, honestly. That One was season? It. One season. And I think the great thing is, is that my teaching background, I actually use a lot now. Every single restaurant I've opened throughout my career, I've had to teach and everybody becomes my student. So yeah. it's not the way that I thought that I was going to teach, but at the same time, that patience level, that you know, building curriculums to do an orientation or an opening or a training, all of those come into play. It's just now I'm teaching about food instead of forming minds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, So then what was your first job after that? First job after that, I think, was I opened the Grand Lux Cafe down. Grand Lux. uh, Grand Lux Cafe. Yeah, Ontario. And so that was part of my first, I think, understanding of what that corporate looks like, Uh that corporate sort of. This is a formula that works. And I think that was the first time I saw, all right, there's actually a toolkit that these people have when they open the space that this is this is successful. Yeah. I think that also, from a system standpoint, was really helpful to take that throughout my career um, because I got to see what works and what doesn't work. How do you handle volume, um, diversity in, in crowds? I think that was one of the first spaces on Michigan Avenue that had a really diverse crowd, which is really interesting. Mm. And also from an opening standpoint, being a part of something from opening for me is really interesting and really fun. Um, so, you know, I did that for a while. 
um, and then moved on to then it was called Gin Bucks in in Wicker Park. I don't know if you guys remember that. It was I like don't. it was like fourteen forty Milwaukee Avenue or something. Okay. Now it's called Swig. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Swig's still there. Wait, what um, was it called? Gin- it was called Gin Bucks. And the I th- precursor to Scofflaw, perhaps? <laughs> yeah, gin, like G-I-N. G-I-N-B-U-C-K-S. It's actually an wow. old school drink. Hmm. Uh, it's gin. Like a Wait, gin let's test, let's test Danny. What's, yeah, in, well, a, what's in a gin well, buck? Well, a traditional buck uh, Has, uses ginger beer. Yep, I actually knew that. So if like it was a gin buck, I don't know, like a gin ginger beer and lime kind of thing, like a Moscow mule, but with gin, maybe? Yeah, it was, was like a... I wish I could remember. I think it was like a ginger ale and okay. gin. So yeah, like a because mu- it was before um, ginger beer. Yeah, was in existence. So there's yet. like the mules and the bucks, mm-hmm. and the mules are ginger ale, and the bucks are ginger beer because they have more of a kick. But oh, really? if it was flipped, I mean, if there was no ginger beer, it's pretty similar. Is well, that what it is? More of a kick? Because like Moscow mules use ginger beer now. Yeah. But yeah, I don't, just kind of like why, yeah, I remember learning that in Paul McGee's curriculum at oh, Whistler. Nice. Yeah, it's good to know. Yeah. But yeah, it was called Gin Bucks. But again, I don't. It's before I even remember ginger beer being a thing. So we okay. used ginger ale, and then we used like lemon and lime in it or something. Yeah. Makes but sense. they were served in these giant chalices, and it would be like three dollars. Oh. So man. everyone would just get drunk. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> so pretty fun. It was a horrible idea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it was it was fun. Um, so that was the first again a bar that I went to and and was able to kind of help to be part of the opening team. So that was special. It was really small. Um, you know, the owner and and just the whole team there was great. Um, and then from there I started, I, I think I realized that I, I enjoyed the structure of corporate um, and began working with Hyatt Hotels uh, down on Michigan and Wacker, the big box down there. So I helped yeah. to renovate Big Bar. We opened like a nightclub. It was a nightclub inside of a restaurant that we would flip from a nightclub. And this is like full on nightclub. It was called Hard Drive. Do you guys remember Hard Drive? No. Nobody really went there except for people you would expect to go to a nightclub in a hotel on Michigan <laughs> Avenue. People when you say hard drive, trips. I just picture a bunch of computer nerds hanging out. It was there were people in like bikinis dancing okay. on lily pads. <laughs> oh whoa. With a DJ in water. Whoa. I also want to correct myself. I was wrong. I had it flipped around. Gin- bucks, yeah. Bucks are the ones with ginger ale and mules are with ginger beer. Like okay. Moscow mule. So it was. It was a gym. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Interesting. Boom. It was Sorry, a real I was thing. wrong, everyone. Gin gin mule. But yeah, wait. People in bikinis dancing on lily pads. It, I don't know why this was that not lit. problematic at the time. It was insane. <laughs> but it was open until 4 a.m. And then we would have to flip the restaurant or flip the nightclub into a restaurant to be open by 6 a.m. to feed people for breakfast. Oh. So, wow. So what, what were wow. your hours there? Would you work? I think I just worked shifts? 24 hours a day. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> I worked and how long was that sustainable? Uh, a few years. I actually it's carried throughout the career. I w- worked on Valentine's Day for... 18 hours, I think. Wow. Just a few days ago. Yeah. So. Oh, this la- at Brownsville? Mm hmm. Did you guys do a special menu and everything? We did. But the water heater exploded at 8 30 a.m., so I had to oh my God. go over there first. Oh and then God. things How- like that happened throughout the day. So. Oh, man. So, but yeah, so you're working at Hard Drive. Mm-hmm. Then so, what? yeah, it was the Hyatt. And so then, you know, right. that's when I started working with Hyatt and started moving around with them, doing restaurant and hotel openings throughout the country and some of the surrounding islands. So that was fun. And I think that gave me really great structure again of, you know, move to a city, learn what their spaces are, 
figure out what kind of restaurant concepts they'll have, figure out how to get the china glass over and all those things that go along with it. Is it like and six then the months per city and then next? Yeah, about. You know, like for that. New Orleans was longer. New Orleans, I was there for four years, or for three years, actually. Whoa. But that was a massive opening. The hotel is huge, and it's right next to the Superdome, so it's not only a convention hotel, it's also, you know, wow. Mardi Gras and Superdome. Oh, to hear, like, I actually know what the roar of a of the Superdome letting out feels like. Um, to be able to get eight bars ready to be able to serve that many people. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I mean. Is Mardi Gras time just a complete disaster? Mardi Gras actually is much different than how it's portrayed. Have you guys been to Mardi Gras? I have. And uh, I went I went with uh, three friends. Two got arrested. Because <laughs> it, it's like, it's kind of a tourist trap. Like, if you, like, there's like a public intoxication thing where they'll just like, throw you in a paddy wagon, you have to get $500 cash, and you're right back out on the street. It's just like hmm. a turn and burn situation. I don't know one person who's ever been arrested during Mardi Gras. Tim's friends uh, <laughs> You have to like be doing something really extreme. It, uh, yeah. What happened was, is my friend, <laughs> what had happened was, I don't want to name names, but my friend Zachary Green <laughs> was, uh, uh, we, we were down No there. relation to my wife, Allie Green. <laughs> no relation. Okay. No. I wonder if they've met, maybe. But uh, we, were, we were out at the bars, and I was like maybe 22. I remember I was working at the on the trading floor at the time so it had to be young 22 and um we were just out and there were these girls like shot girls like Mm -hmm. just kind of with those test tubes remember like walking around those trays (laughs) and like they found zach and zach was like so zach's a model and uh like looks like a model so we would would always like try to get away with stuff be like oh we'd make up that he was a celebrity like this is zachary green he just got cast in the new sean connery movie we just make up this (laughs) shit to get like a, a table somewhere or a right. special treatment or whatever <laughs> so we, kept, we were doing that and uh so these girls are like giving zach like girls are all always all, all over zach but giving him like all these shots and and then they threw like a huge tab at him and he and it was like even beyond what what he'd been served and he's like no this isn't right and he's pretty drunk at this time and he's like he's like i just want to leave i just gotta go back to my hotel and then they're like they're like they just kind of signaled and he just got thrown in a paddy wagon so then, <laughs> I, I will finish the story. So, so he gets taken like away from like Bourbon Street, and um, I just went back to my hotel with my other friend. You guys are just like later. You, well, <laughs> I'm like, I'm, well, I, I talked to the cop. That's I'm like, Tim. is there, is there anything we can friend. do for for Zach now? Like, no, he has to go there. He can post bail, and then he can leave. He couldn't pay the tab. Like, was there just not enough money to pay the tab? I, I or think, it was just not worth. I think it was like principal. I don't know if it was a money thing. I think it was like, a, yeah, I think it was a principal thing. Like he felt that he was being scammed. And then the bouncer was like, no, you have to pay this. And they were like grabbing him and he was pushing back. It was like that. It was a, it was a minor altercation. Okay. So I got to say, I, I probably <laughs> should have told that. So, so then, so my other friend is like, where are you taking him? And they're like, oh, you want to go with him? So they throw him in the paddy wagon too. <laughs> they go off. Me and my other friends go back, go back to our hotel. We go to sleep. At like five in the morning, the friend who like followed him there comes out and he's like, I was able to post my bail. I got five hundred dollars out of an ATM, but I couldn't take enough money out to get both of us out. <laughs> so he walked back like four miles to the hotel. So then the next morning, I did made... hotels exist then, or did cabs exist then? Um, yeah, I mean, this was probably he lost all that money tw- posting bail. He couldn't get in a cab. 2010, 2011. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's probably when cabs took credit cards too. <laughs> probably. <laughs> probably used all his money for bail. But anyway, then we had to like go get Zach the next morning, call his mom, like, hey, uh, I don't want to alarm you. And she's like, what? 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 <laughs> she's like, my model son is in jail. Yeah. In New Orleans. So, yeah. Oh my God. That was the one uh, Mardi Gras experience. I will I say had. that my immediate read is that if there were four of you drinking and you were drunk, that that tab probably was accurate. 
<laughs> it's entirely possible. <laughs> it, it could have been a trap. I mean, if that's it, like, if it's, it was aggressive in my, in my, service. In my, in my, it was aggressive. Did you aggressively drink the, the drinks? <laughs> Again, you, this was so not about me. This is about my friend Tim <laughs> just getting put on blast. <laughs> No, I mean, it, it, def- it def- sounds like something got, that I we, could see happening in New Orleans. We got the industry <laughs> folks grilling me here, seeing it from the managerial position. Yeah, well, most of the t- I mean, and Cece can chime in with her experience. We were not at a well. reputable bar, let's put it that way. No, but most of the time that, I mean, I would say nearly 100% of the time, <laughs> if not 100% of the time, something's happening. Someone who's drunk is totally in the wrong like oh definitely it's like and it's during mardi gras so you're, it's a different yeah. level of drunk so it's hard to imagine that like you're not like dinner, they were scammed you know, they were like i think that the shot girls oh were sorry aggressive here's an important and, part of the yeah. detail <laughs> uh, so we had we had cashed out but these shot girls had a different bill going for zach oh when we went to leave it was hold on you didn't pay for this part and we're like no we'd closed out yeah, and that that's is, where that's the confusion a little shy okay. Fair enough. So now we have a good story to cut out. <laughs> yeah. No, I love it. <laughs> it's, 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 <laughs> this episode of Joiners is brought to you by Stock Manufacturing, makers of fine hospitality workwear. You obsess over the details in your space, so why stop at your staff's uniforms? Stock has something for every aesthetic. From fine dining to a corner cafe, they've got you covered. Choose from in-stock, ready-to-wear options, or design the perfect custom uniform for your team. For more information, visit stockmfgco.com. I think Mardi Gras is like different. It's to me, it was like a really cultural experience, and I thought it was really beautiful. I rode in Zulu Parade, which was the first desegregated parade. Whoa. So I would ride in that. Um, I actually made my husband do it with me, and he doesn't drink alcohol, so it was it was interesting. And you have to get up at like four a.m. and it, it it's incredible. I, I I love the experience, but I think it's people do that. People who live in New Orleans do that as tradition, where they grew up sitting in the same corner on the same block, and they go to the same parade. It becomes like religion to people. They and do is it that on, on what's the like north south? That's where the parade is, right? Mm-hmm. It uh, the or parade goes like diagonal. they all have their own. Is it magazine? Magazine Street, yeah, yeah where the okay. train runs. Yeah, but like <laughs> locals are not hanging out on Bourbon Street. Nobody goes to Bourbon Street, right? That was the so. Problem. I think that's what. Yeah, that was the problem. Not yeah. one person goes to Bourbon Right. Street. That's, that's, where the, that's where Unless the you're going to eat at like are. Giacomo's. I think is over. The, is Giacomo's over there? If you go to Bourbon Street, make sure you have 500 cash. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and don't accept shots from shot girls. Exactly. There's like three places you should go on Bourbon Street. And don't hang out with Zachary Green. Actually, that's great. What are what are the tips? What are your favorite spots in Ooh. New Orleans? It's difficult. Um, any John. No, this is a bad word. Any John Best restaurant. Is really good. Um, <laughs> because of his stuff, you mean? His food is really good. Yeah, yeah. But he, there is some... It's yeah. a polarizing character. Yes. Yep. The food is good. And the happy hours are awesome. So you can get oysters for like a dollar, like really great oysters. That's um, awesome. Let's see. I love Aron Sanchez's restaurant. It, that's right near the Hyatt. Um, super, super good. Really clean, beautiful Mexican food. Uh, Giacomo's, if you want to do like a really New Orleans experience, they've got like alligator cheesecake like really really mm. amazing amazing food um 
No, there's just there's some incredible spaces. I definitely think there the cocktail scene in New Orleans is incredible. Great, yeah. I've the, been for Tales of the Cocktail. I've been and I've yeah. been for Jazz Fest, but I've Tales never been for Mardi Gras. Tales yeah. is insane. Tales is insane. It's every drunk bartender from the entire United States yeah. of America and beyond. A lot of pretentiousness in one place. Yeah, but, <laughs> but, but what a fun the time. best the best tipping. The best yeah. tipping of all time. Best gratuity. But, yeah, there's drunk bartenders and rickshaws all over the city. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I think it's the happy hours are really great. Any any drinks that you can go to, Cure is a beautiful, beautiful cocktail mm. bar I love. Um, but I think you really, it's hard to go wrong. I think there's so much competitiveness. As long as you stay off of Bourbon Street, you're going to yeah. have great food. Mm-hmm. This, the time I went to New Orleans after that, I was the best man in my best friend's wedding. Mm-hmm. That was a very different experience, very cool. He did like traditional, like they had the second line parade, you know, from the church to the reception. That was cool. I remember we went to uh, Commander's Palace and got like the turtle soup, did that whole tradition. Mm-hmm. That, that was uh, much better. Zach wasn't on that trip. <laughs> yeah, that was the secret to success. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, loved, I loved living there. I think it, it was also something that taught me how to celebrate life. And I think everywhere that I've opened a restaurant, that's a funny takeaway that I always have is there's always a different story from where you go. Like New and New Orleans was no different. It was, I remember the first time I came to New Orleans and I walked past a woman, it was like 6.30 in the morning. And they didn't, they didn't have a, I was sad because they didn't, I couldn't find espresso and they didn't drink espresso at many places because everywhere was so old school. And so I walked past a woman and I didn't acknowledge her. And it, that's a Chicago, normal in Chicago. You walk past people on the street and you don't always acknowledge them. You don't always say good morning. But in New Orleans, you always acknowledge your elders and you always say good morning. They're like, good morning, baby. You know, mm-hmm. and so there's like that southern draw and it's just really, really warm. And I remember walking past her and not acknowledging her. And she said good morning to me twice, the second time more forcefully. And I realize that's cultural. Like you, yeah. you do that. And I mean, I think the second lines that, you know, and they celebrate every day because there's been so much trauma and so much, the, the magnitude of the things that have happened there, um, the way that they celebrate life to me and every single day and like the little things was my takeaway of, of being there. And I, I loved being there. It was great. That, that's cool. Do you ever go back? No. I think that's the hard part about being in hospitality. Like we're always busy. Yeah. I don't have time to go back. I mean, my friends are still my friends from there, you know, and I just I just haven't had time to really go back, but it's on my list. Same. Yeah, so what was after New Orleans? What was the next mission? After New Orleans was a ski resort in North, uh, or sorry, in um, Taos, Taos oh, Ski cool. Valley, New Mexico. Yeah. So if you like to ski or snowboard, it's definitely a fun place. And you're still involved in a place there, right? And then I opened my first restaurant in, in Taos. So... I moved to Towski Valley, was there for um, a, f- a few years. Someone bought a, a ski resort. It's still one of the only privately owned ski resorts in um, in North America. And so it's incredible heart. Family that owned it for years and years, you know, sold it to somebody. And so figuring out how to, like, again, take all these corporate toolkits that you have. How does a... How does a hotel operation work? How does Vail, how do Vail and Aspen uh, exist from a financially stable standpoint all year round? And being able to implement some of those things in a small town of like 3,000 people, I think. Yeah. um, And create a destination from it. Um, So, no, it was fun. Everything from, you know, creating restaurants that are actually functioning to creating banquet events uh, and, and a wedding destination to launching like an airline. So it was definitely a really interesting experience. Wait, Um, what airline did you launch? What was... So the ski valley realized there was a problem that they, people couldn't get there efficiently because Taos is three hours from the airport, uh-huh. two and a half hours. So the um, the owner like timeshared. This is things that 
are way beyond my realm of understanding. Timeshared in airlines. Wow, like planes and stuff. Yeah, so but there are certain times that people need to fly to resorts that aren't the same times that people need to fly to other places. So I think they flew to like Austin, Texas, somewhere in LA, and somewhere in San Francisco, maybe, or Dallas, because that's mm. the biggest market for New Mexico skiers. Wow. Yeah. So, so did they just like employ private jets that weren't in use, and mm-hmm. then you just like charter that? Yeah, so it's like a charter a charter cool. plane so, and sold tickets. That's so smart. It's interesting. Hmm. And what brought you to Taos initially, like what, before you did your place? Uh, just that, the ski oh, rally. So they okay. needed help. And so I think something that I've learned, again, over the years is how to create operations that are really financially stable and sustainable. So being able to help kind of shape and reshape them and bring them, because they were very much in like the 70s in some of their yeah. practices, which is awesome. Um, but at the same time, you know, being able to stay, keep pace with like Aspen, Vail and all those places, not that they're the same at all, but when we think about destinations, you know, you have to be, you have to have an understanding that's outside, but also looking in. And I think from that experience, I realized there's this beautiful indigenous culture and a really beautiful uh, Hispanic culture in Northern New Mexico that's very different than anything else I'd ever seen. Um, the Taos Pueblo is the longest inhabited indigenous, um, indigenous location in the entire, I think in the entire world, but definitely in North America, hmm. but realizing because the ski industry is very, very, uh, I don't know, it's polarized. It's not, it's not inclusive. Mm-hmm. It, and I mean, when I got there, people looked at me like I was completely insane. Like mm-hmm. I was coming from New Orleans. I wore like black and I had heels on and I was on a mountain and it's a bunch of like lumberjacks working on a mountain. And that's great. But they had never seen anything like me before. I think no. there's still six people, six black people that live in Taos. Uh, I'm friends with all of them. <laughs> Shout out Black Taos. But, um, <laughs> They're our sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> they looked at me like I was nuts. And so it was it was interesting to, to kind of like open to you, though. I wouldn't say that. It took a lot. It took a lot of learning on everyone's experience. So how do experience. you deal with that kind of adversity on like day one when you feel like you're being judged or whatever? I think I tend to be mildly naive, so I think sometimes I don't know that it's happening until somebody else makes me aware or checks yeah. in with me. And so I don't know. You know, I think I tend to be really strong. Is that I don't necessarily adversity isn't a part of. I don't take on other people's feelings yeah. about me. So and you can't in the hospitality industry. You kind of have to be a little bit thick skin. And mm-hmm. I think. Also realizing Absolutely. that people's pre predetermined thoughts about you or whatever it might be, they don't have to do, they're not a reflection of you, they're a reflection of those people's experiences. And I think throughout the my entire career in hospitality, you know, nine times out of 10 when I say I'm the manager, coming from saying I'm the manager to saying I'm, you know, the director to saying I'm, you know, the owner, people don't look at me and expect that because a, I, I mean, I think they expect like a 65-year-old white man to be like in charge of everything. And it's never been the case. Wherever I've been, I think because I work so hard and I, you know, I've faulted to a fault, have worked probably five times harder than everybody else just so that I can be viewed as somebody who's excelling or doing a great job. Um, but, you know, it, that's been throughout my career. And I've had to realize that, that people's perceptions of me have nothing to do with how hard I work. As long as I know that I'm doing the absolute best that I can, you know, it, just push forward. So, yeah. It was interesting. It was it wasn't that fun at all times, you yeah. know, but I think part of the importance of being in the hospitality industry and being the identity that I am is it's important that people get to experience me because I think it gives them a different viewpoint than maybe they might have that they either see on TV because there are places that people haven't seen like they haven't interacted with other people outside of their own small group. So I think that interaction is also really helpful. So I mean I, again, I don't 
I'm pretty thick-skinned, except when it comes to, like, Google reviews or Yelp. <laughs> yeah. I've talked about that. That was with. good, too. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, outside of that. And so, yeah, I mean, I think I learned a lot. I learned that I wanted to be more engaged with the community from that experience. Um, I got tired of people saying, no, you can't um, no, you can't develop community. And so that kind of shaped, you know, the next, the, I guess, the next stage of what I wanted to do. And I think I told my husband one day, like, hey, I, I'm like having a thing where I, I don't know what it is, but I want to explore it. And I want to take this thing that I've done for hospitality my whole career and all these things I've learned through, you know, climbing the ranks in Hyatt and learning their systems from, you know, being able to build a ski valley for extremely affluent people to, you know, being able to live in all these spaces. There has to be a way that we can take hospitality and use it to actually grow community from a financial perspective way and then also from like a human being way like we have to be able to grow it because when you think about it hospitality is one of the last playing fields where if you don't have access to education um, you actually can achieve certain levels of success and like jump actually jump you know different socioeconomic statuses yeah that's a good point so so my husband I'm like I'm not gonna work for a while I don't know (laughs) what I'm gonna do but I'm gonna figure it out and so from that because I can't sit still I opened my first restaurant in um in in Taos, New Mexico. It's called the Stakeout with some friends. And we were able to locally source items and do dinner parties that were based on um, what the farmers had in season, which was really cool. That is cool. Uh, and so Aesthetically, it's beautiful. I was looking at it online. So what's, uh, how would you describe the concept? We call it the Stakeout on Outlaw Hill. Um, we just want to throw really fancy dinner parties. <laughs> and is it, are they, is it every day of the week? Is it just the weekends? It's, it's only, so we start out just weekends uh, where it would be private ticketed dinners because also that's a good way to control costs and not to have, you Yeah, know. for sure. So we did private ticketed dinners um, and we just, again, did it based on like, we have so many great local farmers up in northern New Mexico um, and also bison from the Taos Pueblo. So there's so much incredible, so many incredible ingredients that we have at our access. So we just started out doing dinner parties, ticketed dinner parties every now and then. Uh, And then we did a wedding for Anna Sheffield. She's an incredible, incredible designer. Um, She goes between New York and LA, um, but she designs wedding rings. And so we did her wedding with her husband, Iman, who's also incredible. Um, But their wedding was featured in like New York Times or The Cut. And from there, people started calling saying, I want to, I saw this wedding. It's magical. I want to get married. So we were like, oh, shit (laughs) maybe we're a wedding venue and so from there it just i mean instead of doing dinner parties i think our relation was like okay well a dinner party is a dinner party and that's rad but a wedding is like a dinner party but like a million times times more rad yeah so you know we started doing weddings and we've we do only one wedding a week and we get to curate a dinner party for a couple and we interview every couple so we don't take everybody they have to care about locally sourcing they have to not be jerks. Like we don't take everybody. Yeah. And we get to essentially like create a restaurant where we can feed the people who then become part of our family forever, which is great. Have That's you cool. had any unexpected groomzillas or bridezillas? Uh, we weed them out early. I you've I, never I, let one slip through that your like initial interview went well and then you ultimately learned. I spent oh, like the bait and two, switch. three yeah. hours with these people. We've had bridezilla oh, yeah. moms. Okay. Oh yeah. And I when we say we we will no longer speak with your mom, do you want to get married here? <laughs> That's smart. So we had some bridezilla moms. Right, um, we did have a interesting wedding where it was during COVID. And we had to stop doing weddings because it really isn't safe to do weddings. You can't put a hundred people in and a small course, room. Yeah. So one client would wouldn't wouldn't take no for an answer, and they really like I mean guilted us in doing it. And they had a they at the day of had a Deaf Lives Matter uh, sign up. 
I felt conflicted about deaf, that one. Deaf? D-E-A-F? Deaf. They were deaf. The bride and groom oh, were deaf. Oh, deaf lives So their parents yeah. put up a deaf lives matter. And so, I don't know, that, that felt problematic, but, yeah. but they were deaf. So really, I, yeah. I'm like, I don't know. And it was during COVID. <laughs> yeah. So I haven't had any bridezillas oh. leading up to it, but there's definitely been a couple questionable moments. But tensions are high. and Yeah. You know, but yeah, no, high I mean, stakes for the wedding. Mm, exactly. But so, I think our, our, I mean, you can see the Rio Grande from like our patio and wow. you can go on top of the roof. It's just, it's incredible. I mean, we, I got married there with my husband a year and a half ago, almost maybe. Do you guys oh, book awesome. way far out? Yeah, we book usually two years out. Okay. Two, Are you fully booked out. until two years from now? Like the middle of 2020, middle end of 2024. Wow. Damn. And is there a time that you couldn't get married there? Like when it's super cold, you know, is there like a seasonal component i think if you really wanted to get married in the snow you could it doesn't seem like it'd be very pleasant but there are people that love that stuff yeah and then are you constantly going back there uh my team there is great so my other business partners uh cj and meredith meredith was actually used to play i had a gallery in new mexico too my husband and i and so there was we would always have like little live like underground shows and there wasn't anything else to do there so it was like really cool organic and so we're on the stop between austin texas and denver colorado so we would have like the off day shows so we had a this is also my outside of work life i usually live in a very open group oriented situation so in new orleans i lived in an art commune called pars nola in arroyo seco in taos i lived in one and i opened it up it's called uh taos or pars seco and so we uh, did like underground art shows and things like that for for people and so that was awesome it was cool what's life like there I mean, it was, we, there would be, the first floor is always gallery space, and so we use that to, like, produce shows or, or do art shows, and then the second floor is, like, we had four bedrooms, so we all came from from New, from New Orleans, and we built out this, like, old beat-up thing mm-hmm. and built out the house, and everyone had their own room that they lived in, and then we had an Airstream in the back that one of my other friends, uh, Ricardo, brought out, um, but, it, I mean, it's just, it's, I feel like... Th- Life is so serious in hospitality, you kind of have to have something to keep you balanced. And yeah. I think outside of work, like the arts and culture has always kept me really balanced. So is that kind of rotating when different people move in and out? Or was it like the same crew the whole time? Uh, no, different people would move in and out. So usually we had we would have like artists in residence who would be doing yeah. a show up front. They would stay in the Airstream and that was part of like our residency. So they would get to ch- chill in our Airstream for a few months and then cool. do an art show. Uh, we would paint like the front ga- front of the gallery, so it was like always the f- the outside front of the gallery was always painted with like a mural. It still is, um, and then the upstairs would always just kind of be rotating. So that's very cool. It was really fun, but yeah, that so that was my first restaurant, and we were able to pay people above a minimum wage, which is also something that corporations a lot of times frown upon. But I think we paid our servers well above what anybody else paid and as a result that pushed everybody else in the region up so we had the best servers in the whole entire i mean i would say state because we were paying like three times as much wow Um, so no i mean it was it was it was me trying to kind of figure things out of how can we how do we use the hospitality for good and it's been incredible so that was my first restaurant and again that we opened 2019 um and we're still going strong which is great what were some of the systems that you brought from like a corporate, like Hyatt, for example? Were there things that you, you still use from their formula? I mean, I think just some of the cost controls and, yeah. and SOPs. So SOPs, cost controls, onboarding, um, or the organization of systems. You know, I think it's just systems. It's, it's as long as you have a system for something moving into it, things can be very organized. So I think I move very differently than a lot of independent restaurant chores or restaurant owners because 
a lot of times when when we're restaurant tours and we come from independent situations, we don't have those systems. So like I have like I could open a hotel right now probably with my eyes closed, but not because I can remember everything. It's because I have a spreadsheet. You know, mm-hmm. I have a spreadsheet it that tells, tells me every playbook, single thing. Yeah. When to do X thing, mm-hmm. when to hire the team. Yeah, my Gantt chart. To, okay. And so being able to open a restaurant is the same. You know, how many forks, knives, spoons do I need? What are my pars? You know, those are all things that they're not the glamorous or sexy parts of opening a restaurant, but those are the parts that make it run. Yeah, that's the very crucial part of mm-hmm. making it a successful business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you're not just constantly scrambling, which we have definitely done mm-hmm. uh, before. So nascent group, at what point does that get formed? And, and what was the idea? Yeah, I mean, I think that would kind of came around that same time. Okay. I was 2016, and nascent group was, you know, me being able to really be into restaurant hotel design. I, I love designing hotels and restaurants. Like, if I could just do that, that's what I would do. And I've always said, you know, I like to do everything with, like, artistry and magic. And I think being able to take my you know, my love for arts, culture, music, and being able to blend that with the restaurant experience, I think is really important. We have so many spaces that we get to experience and we don't realize that it's a multi-sensory experience. So I don't think a lot of people think about that sometimes when they think about a restaurant concept that they want. Or So I think being able to blend those things in hotel experiences is really important as well. So, you know, I think that's what the Nason Group was. I was like, I'm gonna make this company and I'm gonna design nice things, you know, that are profitable. And so that's where the Nason Group came from. And I think the idea of the Nason Group is I wanna be a part of the beginning ideation session of something and then being at that moment where we help to form it into something that, you know, comes to fruition. So that was the idea of, of being able to do that. So, you know, I the stakeout kind of came with that, um, you know, through that process and then from there, you know, I've done a couple other hotels, restaurants, and just designed them for other people. Um, ski resorts, same thing. And then in Chicago, I've actually, you know, have done quite a bit since I've been back as well. But here, it's a lot of mixed-use development. So mm-hmm. that's also interesting to think about placemaking as projects. Um, and especially on the south and west sides of Chicago, there's so much happening with the Invest Southwest initiative that there's a huge level of investment in these disinvested neighborhoods. So being able to take an old building that's dilapidated and the way that that feeling feels to turn that into something that creates jobs, that creates excitement, that creates safety in communities is is, is really, really important. Um, so that's now the biggest bulk of what the nascent group does is a lot of mixed use development. So working with um, developers, mainly minority developers, but all developers. Um, and then, you know, we've kind of done everything from like opening a weed company, not us, but helping somebody open a weed company in like New York to, which you know, weed company? Uh, I, I can't. Oh, I can't say. Yeah. Okay. Is it not launched yet? It is. It's not launched yet due to licensing. Okay. It's on hold. And then at what point does Bronzeville Winery come into the picture? So Bronzeville Winery, uh, let's see. I was, or COVID, how, how COVID hadn't happened yet. Oh, I know what it was. So Eric Williams, owner of Silver Room. Eric without a K. Yeah. So yeah, there's two Eric two Williams. Eric, two Eric. Yeah. So there's two Eric Williams. And aren't they like best friends? They're really good friends. Okay. Eric has <laughs> Eric from Virtue has been our. It does make it confusing. <laughs> they actually got a dual award from somebody. I can't remember what company. They're like, <laughs> congratulations, Eric Williams and Eric Williams. <laughs> like you can't give them both the same award because their names are the same. Uh, just with the K in parentheses. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so I knew I've known Eric for when I since I lived across the street in Silver Room or lived across the street from Silver Room back in the day. And so Eric has been hugely successful in the arts, culture, um, you know, community building realm in Chicago. And his, his, his following is massive. He's, you know, a great human being inside and out. And we've always 
kind of, I mean, we've never been great, great friends, but we've always known of each other. Like, I think he knew that I was on that hospitality track. And I know, you know, I've, I've always known of him from Silver Room. And so we only hung out one time. And so we had gone to African Festival. And it was a great time. Like, he, but again, like, it's just, it's one of those things where you, you have these two different lives. And I've always worked a million hours a week and I don't as a result have any friends which is fine but uh, Eric is always friend. thanks I'm going to come hang out here every day yeah, well, come to our 200 yeah. square foot yeah, our studio. studio exactly yeah. it's got soundproofing sometimes yeah, I just want to sit in a room like this after know, a long yeah. day um, sometimes I fall off the walls so. <laughs> so Eric came after one of the last Silver Room block parties and he hosted if, you, if anyone remembers the old block parties from Silver Room block party in Wicker Park, there was like 30 people, some speakers. We all would go to like 7-Eleven and grab like 40s and drink mm-hmm. on the street on Milwaukee. Love that. Super tiny. And over the years, they've grown and grown and grown. He relocated his store from Wicker Park down to the south side in Hyde Park, where it is now. Um, and then he threw, he started doing a silver and block parties down there. He had one where I think 60,000 people came to 53rd oh Street. God. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so you see these pictures. Like, if you ever Google Silver Room Block Party, you'll see these massive aerial pictures where every you couldn't walk on any of the streets. So it was massively busy. And so he came out to New Mexico. And I was like, just come out to New Mexico. It's always my, my thing. No one ever came to visit me in New Mexico because it's so far away. It's a, it's a haul. But once you get out there, it's quiet. There are stars. And I think I found that to be a really important part of my life as well is to be able to quiet everything. Um, and sometimes you have to be in a very really extreme situation to be able to do that. So I took him to Hot Springs. We sat in the Hot Springs, talked about the block party, talked about, you know, the future, listened to nothing, you know, sat in the mountains. And from that, he's like, I have this idea. It's a restaurant. I think, you know, I have a really great space. There's a need for it on the south side. And I was like, well, whatever you need. You know, obviously that's my wheelhouse. So I'm happy to help you with this idea. And so that was like the first <laughs> part of that and that turned into over a course of months of you know him asking me to come and be his partner in the project and so um and that's what dragged you back up to Chicago that is what brought me back to Chicago so I started coming to visit every now and then and I think I didn't know I I think I forgot I forgot what it meant to open a restaurant yeah um because I hadn't done it in a while I'd only I I hadn't done it without layers of people under me Mm -hmm. um so I try to do it from afar and then, you know, from some of the first meetings, I think I realized how much I needed to fall back in love with Chicago because I had been gone for a little over a decade maybe Um, and didn't really come back to visit. Again, I I don't because I didn't really have time, but I didn't know the South Side. I knew Wicker Park. I knew Mm -hmm. Humboldt Park. I knew, you know. I knew the blue line, basically, because that's where it takes you. And Palatine. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, but I, I think I realized I needed to eat. I needed to see the scene. I needed to see what the restaurants, because I had also been in New Mexico, and New Mexico is about seven to ten years behind the rest of the country because it's so old school. Um, so I, I don't think I had, like, a good relevant point of view for what I was trying to build, and so I realized how dangerous that could be, so I moved back to Chicago and try to eat as much as possible. And yeah, what were some of the spots for R&D? As many Michelin star restaurants as possible. I would say my favorite eating experience is between, is it Elska? Yeah. Elska is rad. So Tim um, lives a block away from it. Yeah. Yep. Super, super great eating experience, not pretentious at all. Yeah. Um, delicious, really well executed, beautiful, beautiful ambiance. 
Um, virtue was also something I benchmark um, against a lot and, and, and virtue because he was a pioneer in on the South Side, being able to create like an upscale dining experience. Also, I, I've attended his pre-shift before and the way that he commands a room and just his energy is it's it's really inspiring. And, and so I think I look to Eric Williams with a K um, <laughs> a lot. So throughout the whole process, calling him saying, hey, what do you think my average check is going to be? Because I didn't have anything to benchmark and to build a forecast with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so everything from linen companies to who creates a windshield to how much do you pay, you know, you know, these positions so that I can make sure that, you know, I'm building a, a successful restaurant. What kind of music do I play or, you know, how how do you cut people off or how do you get people to tip, you know? And so he was able to kind of walk me through some of those things. So I spent a lot of time at Virtue um, bugging Eric Williams. Mm-hmm. That's a good spot for an education. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. And then, you know, uh, Esme up north. Yeah. I still haven't been to Esme yet. It's good. Yeah. It's on Clark, right? Yeah. yeah well, it's there. right by the zoo. Yeah. I, yep. Up it's north is also Yeah. Yep. But he's incredible. So I had a yeah. great, great eating experience there. Um, but no, I mean, even, but even in, on the South side, there are so many great little places. Like there's, I don't know what the taco place is called, but there's just so many incredible places. And so just trying to eat as much as possible, I think was really important and see also, I, I think I also, also always will shoot for being perfect. And so as many Michelin star experiences as I could have, I just wanted to see what their formula was and what they were mm-hmm. doing and study those things. So I think that's where I spent a lot of my time. Um, and then I realized very quickly in the first three months, I just wanted to be able to bust tables properly. Yeah. So we've kind of checked our own, <laughs> our own reality, but <laughs> we're getting there. It's still definitely something that we're working towards and trying to either bring a James Beard Award or a Michelin star to the South side yeah. you know, of Chicago. And I know again, Chef Eric won um, Great Lakes, yep. James Beard last year, which is great. We actually went after the, we nominated ourselves for the James Beard Best New Restaurant and didn't even make nominus, uh, nominee, so we were pretty bummed on that. Oh. Yeah, We'll rectify it. Yeah, I mean, who's that. listening that can... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> James Beard, what's yeah. wrong with you? Yeah. Trying. Yeah. We're going to get Beard in here next week. We're going <laughs> to see what's going on. Yeah, we. Uh, I mean, we did a whole video talking about, you know, because best new restaurant, like, what is best? And right. I think James Beard, again, another historically problematic... Mm-hmm. Group, mm-hmm. yeah. same with Michelin, is who they give to. Like, if you look at historically who they give awards to for years, there it, there wasn't a lot of diversity. And I think that, and this was our our when we did our our when we nominated ourselves, that was what we were saying is that James Beard Best New Restaurant Best doesn't mean just the best wine list, doesn't mean just best food. Best has to be what's best for your community and the impact that you make. And so I don't think that there is any other restaurant, especially in the Midwest, maybe that has done as much as we have for a specific community. And that, that might be a broad statement. I'm going to take that back. But I think for, for this year, sorry, for this year, that's yeah. the better way to make <laughs> that's it. That's the small. caveat. Yeah, the caveats for this year. But I mean, I think for us, when we first started going after banks to try to open Bronzeville Winery, the way that they would look at us, mm, yeah. <laughs> and they would pull up the map on the, on they would pull up the location on the map, and they'd be like, this is, there's a dollar store in like 15 empty lots. Yeah. You're going to open an upscale restaurant on the south side? And you're like, but when you look at the, the statistics of who lives there, there's more concentrated black wealth in, in the Bronzeville area than there is in the entire city of Chicago combined. So something's wrong if you, mm-hmm, if the banks right. don't believe in that. And so, you know, we 
were able to win um, the NOF small grant uh, through the city of Chicago. So we won 250000 And then we did a groundbreaking ceremony. And during the groundbreaking ceremony, we told the mayor and the deputy mayor, Samir, who also lives on the south side, he's incredible, um, but let them know that we like couldn't find a bank to fund the rest of the project, even though we were breaking ground. Um, and so they you know, did a speech and made a call to action to say, you know, hey, you all the banks that are saying post-COVID, now are post-COVID, post-George Floyd, when there's now money about to help black communities, supposedly, but it still wasn't making it to the communities, Mm -hmm. um, but made a statement to the banks saying, you know, you all need to put your money where your mouth is. And so the only bank that really rose to the occasion was BMO Harris Bank. And it wasn't easy. They looked at us like we were crazy. And I'm like, I know these numbers work and I know numbers. Like I, if there's anything that I know, like I've done this spreadsheet Mm 18,000 times, like I know this is going to be successful. And so, you know, it's, they, they believed in us and they have been a great banking partner, which is great. So it wouldn't have been possible without those two things happening. Good on BMO Harris for stepping up. Mm -hmm. They're, they're incredible. They've got a great team and they, constantly are sending us business. And I think that's not something I've ever seen in a banking relationship. That's they're great. like, hey, we have this company that we knew of. They said they want to do a happy hour. Can they do it with you? And so they're always oh, sending cool. us business and supporting us. It's really cool. Nice. Yeah. I've been down twice. Last time I dined with you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a beautiful space. What was that building before? Uh, it was a housing project, I believe it's called. Was so it? They, it was dilapidated, and so they, they, an investor bought it. And so they worked with the QCDC, um, which is a Quad City Development Corporation. Um, they're a local business development firm, and so they work to help find people to to actually fill those front spaces, the re, in the retail. So cool. Was, they're it, all, was they're, it a major build out? I think it was a huge build out. Yeah, yeah. probably and, stripped down. And so the upstairs of it are residents, and so I think it's one third affordable housing, one third market rate, and one third there's another one subsidized housing maybe mm-hmm. and so yeah then everybody who is in the little strip in the front are all people that most people live close by which is great um so just to see that block go from being completely barren and empty when we were f- first building to one business opening like haji healing salon and spa opened up first if you ever need plants or mentally mental healing like i, I go mm-hmm. there like they do acupuncture and yoga and they've got plants and books and rocks and all these incredible things so you know i think seeing her open and then we opened and then um sarah kafufi opened a dress shop there's fortune house that's there which is like a really cool young emerging art space and there's a couple other places but to see an and to see the energy that's there especially like we have our patio in the summer that holds like 120 people that was really important to me is you know how do we take this like wicker park experience and this now west loop which didn't exist 20 years ago mm-hmm. but west loop experience now and Every block you go, there's these dope patios where you can hang out with friends, chill, but mostly feel safe. And so that was really important to me is how can we create this ambiance where you feel safe, where you come here, but then you wander down the street and that's how you build community wealth. Um, and so part of that and part of every project that you know we want to do now as the nascent group is how do we build community wealth through these projects that we're doing? And so that's been really fun. So The, uh, the service is top notch. What's your training like? And and has that been an easy road for you? I think I tried to be very idealistic when we first opened the Bronzo Winery. Again, it was important to me to try to hire anybody and give everybody an opportunity. And I will say, you know, I, I, I have a lot of experience, but I don't think, I think I was maybe too idealistic. So 
we didn't hire anybody with experience and you can't give top-notch service without, because they also didn't know, Mm -hmm. you know, like they didn't know what I was asking them to do because they haven't had, culturally they haven't had these experiences. Not everybody, but some people. Yeah, they didn't do the Michelin tour. Ah, they did not. They (laughs) don't know what I'm talking about. Um, So, you know, we, I think our turnover rate, and this is even embarrassing to say, is like 400% from the first day we opened. It was massively insane. We were also extremely busy. So you couldn't get a reservation for the first three months of us opening. So we had this perfect storm of like all these people who didn't, who had never opened a restaurant, a bunch of servers who didn't know what a Michelin star was, a bunch of cooks who was probably their first time cooking and didn't have even knife skills or techniques. Um, and then we were doing three to 400 covers a night. Yeah. Is and, and you're doing first impressions. You mm-hmm. want repeat customers. You want to make sure that, right. yeah, that's tough. So, I mean, we, we, we kind of spun our wheels for a few months. And then at one day, I just said, all right, we have to stop. So we just closed the restaurant. And we closed the restaurant for a week. And we just stopped and we retrained. We, you know, changed the way our systems were working. And I kind of had to go back to, like, dig deep in my toolkit and be like, all right, what have I done in the past that did work? And we were able to start rehiring. Um, and so then now we have a really balanced crew of servers who have a great, you know, a great resume and have worked in the hospitality industry who can kind of coach those other servers. And so pairing them together works really well. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of like as we were able to raise the bar, then the bar, the bar is raising with it, which has been really interesting. So all the people who maybe were at the bottom by them being able to observe how other people are making money, they're actually rising to the top, which is, which is huge. And yeah, so and then they're able to train and mm-hmm. yeah. So no, I think it's definitely like the buddy system. It's cheesy as it sounds. No, it's cool. I mean, Buddying them up has been really helpful. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. We also took them all to Virtue to say, all right. And I don't know if you know the GM from Virtue, Jesus. He's also incredible. He's been, he's a managing partner, um, and, but he's worked with Eric for years and years. So being able to show them what it feels like to be in a well-functioning dining room, which doesn't feel like chaos. <laughs> it's only been the last few months when I've been able to walk in the restaurant and, and feel like this feels like a cool restaurant to me. Yeah. So I say we're like swans, where up front, up top seems very graceful, but underneath we're kicking, kicking like out. <laughs> This podcast is brought to you by Geneva. Danny, what is Geneva? Well, Tim, I'm glad you asked. Geneva is a European spirit with a wide range of flavors and lots of personality. It always uses malt spirit and juniper and other botanicals, so some would place it somewhere between gin and whiskey. It can be floral and bright like gin or round and malty like whiskey. Whatever your preference, there's a Geneva out there for you. Even me? Even you, Tim. This campaign is financed with aid from the European Union. I was reading one of your bios here um, at the Stakeout website and said you've done a lot of celebrity handling. How did that come about? That was mostly with Hyatt. Okay. <laughs> Hyatt and so festivals. So events. my husband is a dichotomy of me. He's a professional skateboarder and he does big events. So he does all the cool things and I just work. So he, <laughs> I don't know. Your stuff's cool. He does, he does festivals and so he does like really fun. Like So I always get to help him with that. But throughout Hyatt, we would always have celebrities that would open. So... Like Cheryl Crow, for instance, would play or would come to New Orleans and I would have to like take care of her. Like we did our big grand opening party at um, Hyatt and we had, it was Snoop Dogg, Rihanna, Kanye West, uh, when he was still okay. And then <laughs> just want to put that disclaimer in there so I don't get canceled. Um, and a couple other people, like I think this one, Randy, is it Randy Smith who is from, uh, I don't know, he was from that show where people sing. American Randy Idol. Jackson? Randy Jackson was there. It was really weird. 
but yeah, like we yeah, had to dog. <laughs> we had to That's fill no for me, dog. we yeah. had to fill snoop dog's hotel room with a bunch of like plants so that he could smoke in there hmm. and there was like a strict no smoking policy in the hotel and i remember the gm being like let him smoke just let him smoke yeah it's snoop. He's, <laughs> exactly. he's the one guy who gets yeah. a pass or like rihanna and i remember it's funny because in uh new orleans so that's the other thing is like attention to detail is something that is big for me. And so I think that's been a lot of like the success throughout my career is like I have, I'm kind of relentless with details. And so all artists have writers. Yeah. So writer is like before I come, I want like 10 yeah, blue M&Ms. Yeah. But Cheryl mm-hmm. Crow's writer is super weird. So yeah, she wants to eat off of clay plates. So she had wants all like the normal healthy stuff, but she will only eat off of like 10 large handmade clay plates, 10 hmm. large handmade clay glasses or whatever. So... That was in New Orleans, probably like 2015, maybe. Fast forward like a few years, and I'm doing the opening of, I can't remember what we were opening. Oh, it was the owner of the Ski Valley's birthday party. And so we flew in this super secret musician. Nobody was allowed to know who it was. Nobody was allowed to know. But because I have to take care of everybody, because I'm like the person to take care of everyone, they were like, okay, here's this person's rider. No one can know who it is. And I was like, these damn plates and these damn mugs. Oh my God. I was like, it's Cheryl Crow. And everybody looked at me like I was nuts. But I'm like, I'm like, like trust I, me, I know. I'm like, I just serve people for a living. Like, I oh, know man. who this that is. is epic. It was super funny. And I'm like, if I have to do this person's rider one more time. But yeah, I mean. What are some other rider abnormalities you've encountered? Hmm. Well, they're all abnormal, I guess. Yeah, probably. So we did a big, or my, my husband did a big festival. Uh, I can't remember the name of it was. In Taos. It was like a heavy metal festival. They had some pretty intense requests. I can't really remember any. We would have to do green rooms, though, where we would have to like set up the green rooms with like paraphernalia and illegal objects or illegal yeah. substances. Yeah. I guess, I mean, it's that's hospitality. You got to yeah, I mean, do it, right? Give the people what they want. Yeah. I mean, that's also from like a, a hosp- it's hospitality when it comes down to it. It's yeah. like we were flying these bands in. They, they're on the road all the time. And when you think about like what is it that makes them feel comfortable? What is it that makes them feel, you know, want to come back? And it's the same thing that you do in a restaurant. It's like how do you create this experience in this green room that's going to make them talk about you forever? And it's mm-hmm. like the smell. There being incense in the green room. It's the, you know, you're, when we're in the high desert, like we're literally like in a place that looks like Joshua Tree. So do you think it's like a challenge? Like they're putting the rider together and being like, we'll, 100%. See if, we'll see if this person can come through and that they're expecting like 50% of it to not be there. But then when there's 100%, they're like mm-hmm. blown away. 100%. I think that they don't even expect to be right. A lot of them don't even wow. know their own riders. And so for me, yeah. it's hmm. for me, it's like a weird challenge and it's fun to be like, here, you want all this weird shit? Like, that's fine. Like, boom, I did it. <laughs> yeah. Here's your, I don't wow. know. Here's your Pez container. <laughs> your limited edition Star Wars Pez from 1983. Exactly. Like, and it's just, and mostly it's just like weird beers. People are like a certain vodka that's yeah, only specific. for them. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's, uh, Cheryl Crow's wasn't the weirdest. It, that was just the one that like it's stood particular. out in my mind. Yeah. yeah. Or like Snoop Dogg wanting all the, the, um, plants in his room so he could smoke. Oh, you know what was weird was, uh, Lil Wayne's was, <laughs> Colored M&M's, Moet Hennessy, and Red Bull, I think, because he wanted to, like, mix it together and make something and, like, cough syrup or something weird. Oh, you got to put that on the menu at Scoffla. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, or Bronzeville Winery can have it on their menu. Oof, I don't know if we can do that. Wow. Yeah, I guess. So how long of a, a heads up do you get for that stuff? Because some of that stuff, if you're sourcing, like, obscure beers and stuff, you need 
you yeah. know, ship stuff in, you get a couple of weeks at least. I think like a day or two. But it's like they oh, have geez. their a handler few, few too, and then their handler tells. The, yeah, you know, there's the like whole hand, production. there's like layers yeah. of handlers. Exactly. Wow. But that's like what you're saying, where they don't often even know their own riders. Like their manager could be like, well, that one time they liked this specific coconut water, so I'll add that to their rider for them. Mm-hmm. And then right. they're like, or the manager's oh. kid wants a new Nintendo Switch, so they're throwing <laughs> it on the. Has there ever been anything that our budgets aren't that big? I'd be like, hey, that's where we draw the line. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I mean, we usually know a little bit in advance, but it's 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 one of those things where it's part of the production. So I mean, have yeah. you guys ever like done a festival or anything like that? Um, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's pretty fun. Yeah. Festival production, like, if I had to do it, it's like, I don't know, it's just, it's fun. Because you build something and it's zero. I just, I, I think that's, that's like a theme. It's like if something, there's nothing there and then you build like the tents and the music and the sound and there's yeah. so many moving parts. Just if, and then you see thousands of people in these spaces who are experiencing this thing that didn't exist five days ago. Yeah. That to me is super fun. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I guess we did, co- I've done cocktail social where we get like well i've done cocktail social yeah, we too, get like Danny. 15 bars under one roof yeah that's fun you know for one night only and mm-hmm. it's a big production my brother-in-law uh has an event planning company called green curtain shout so out he, green yeah. curtain green curtain events nice. um but yeah they do like wing out and stuff like that mm-hmm. that's fun yeah. yeah it's different designing something that's that has to be torn down immediately after a temporary space it's also a huge yeah. waste Ephemeral. i wish i could figure out how to not waste in that situation yeah ephemeral art ephemeral art yeah um is there anything else you'd like to get to before we get to the gratuity round any oh, new no. projects that you can talk about hmm there's a exciting restaurant concept coming up in uh the south shore cultural center that i'm working on designing mm. i was just down in that space that's where obama got married yeah right? mm-hmm. yeah i was there for like a it's like a gong bath like meditation thing that oh, yeah. uh, Parks Foundation hosted it. It was really cool. It was like candlelit in the big like ballroom. That's awesome. That's a really cool building. How many people were in the gong session with you? Uh, just him. <laughs> it was just me and my <laughs> wife. <laughs> no, it was it was packed actually. Like people brought like sleeping bags and like yoga mats and stuff and laid down. Mm-hmm. I'd say there were probably mm, probably I don't know, like eighty people. That's it's interesting to relax with 80 people. It was weird, yeah. <laughs> Just relax, it's fine. Yeah, we also showed up late, so I had to like... No fight, way. Yeah, and like, they're like, they had to like have people move, and I'm like, I'm so sorry. So it was like, it was packed. <laughs> I'm, like laying, I'm like rolling out my yoga mat. <laughs> so you're doing a restaurant in there? Yeah, so not, it's for um, someone else. He actually owns another restaurant um, on the, um, I think it's in Inglewood. Um, but he is super, super exciting, and so we're working on that right now. We and I've—it's funny because as we start to do more and more projects, you see who you like to work with. So I work with Future Firm a lot. They're our architect, and so they're incredible, incredible. Um, I guess it's just an incredible architecture firm where they're able to kind of think outside the box. And then another placemaking project, which I'm really excited about, uh, is going to be called the South Side Sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be 5000 South uh, South MLK. And so we're going to basically have this big outdoor space that is aimed towards catalyzing the community. So we'll do everything from like markets in the in the summers to movies. There'll be a stage. Um, cool. There'll be like a little rolling track so you can kind of roll around and whether you're in a wheelchair or a skateboard or whatever you might be, whatever types of wheels that you might be on, be able to kind of walk around and just be able to really activate the space, um, be able to come. I think that came a lot from my inspiration of being in Cuba. And in Cuba, not everybody has internet, so everybody comes into these center circle areas to, to use like a community internet. So we'll have mm. community internet. Also during COVID, um, when none of the nobody could go to school, it was interesting that many people didn't, especially on the south and west sides, didn't have access to internet. And so they, I think 
they've not I think there's been a lot of studies that have come out of how much they've fallen behind yeah, from brutal. grade levels yeah and I think it it's ridiculous because it's not every country that fell behind during no. COVID. It's just United States. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rough. Now we're all like two years less intelligent. Yeah. Two years dumber. Yeah. That's Tim's nickname. I know. <laughs> I didn't have any years to give up. I'm yeah. screwed. <laughs> <laughs> Joiner's podcast is brought to you by PartyCan. PartyCan is a premium batched, large format, full flavored cocktail that uses high end liquor, real juice, real ingredients. It's all natural, gluten free. It's 12 drinks in a single can. And guess what? That can actually floats. You can take it to the beach, the pool, on the boat, camping, hiking, to the game, everywhere you go. It is recyclable and reusable. It's a party in a can and everyone's invited. Party Can is available at multiple retailers around Chicago, around the country, and you can always go to drinkpartycan.com to find a local store or have one shipped to you or a friend. And now, back to our interview. Well, let's hit you with the gratuity round. All right. Cecilia, what is your death row meal? I should have thought about these questions. <laughs> Do I have a certain amount of time? Sure. Yeah, take take as much also, time as you we want. We can also return to certain ones that are challenging. And we can cut out the dead space. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Or I'll just go do, do, do. I know. Do, Death row meal. Do, do. It changes by day. It's such a hard one. I guess I would go mashed potatoes and gravy. That's a good one. Okay. But, specific recipe or from a f- specific restaurant? I think I'd want my mom's. Okay. Is yeah. that okay? A lot of mom yeah. answers in here. A lot of mom answers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Comfort food, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Would there be garlic in those mashed potatoes? I have to ask. Definitely. Okay. All cru- right. And some crushed black pepper on the top of the. Uh, mm, very the good. Yeah. I'm a okay. huge black pepper fan. Mm-hmm. My wife is not. No? Really? No. It doesn't well, make that much of a difference. I know. She's just sensitive to like that particular thing. Hmm. Yeah. I think but I mentioned this in our last interview, but I was ridiculed endlessly for adding garlic to mashed potatoes by my wife and my father. It can hmm. be in the mix of the mashed potatoes. Yeah. It just gives it a little flavor. That was flavor. great. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have your. You I'll take the leftovers, you bread them, and you fry them up. Ooh, it's delicious. Mm. Yeah, very good. All right. <laughs> Maybe that's your death row. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What is your favorite hidden gem restaurant? These are so hard. It could be anywhere, too, but. Yeah, it could I... be in Cuba. <laughs> Cuba, surprisingly, was an underwhelming food experience for yeah, me. Really? Well, how long ago were you there? Um, probably three, four years ago. My I'm family lives there, so can you? You can go there freely now, right? Mm-hmm. You like, can go there. There's a time where you had to be like a missionary or something, like some. Yeah. Well, you had to like of... go somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, you can go there freely, now. and then you had to ask cool. to have your passport not stamped, or right? Whatever. But yeah. because they have, because they have, I don't know, because every everything's regulated. All the all the restaurants are owned by the government, mm. so it just isn't very good. Yeah, it's not not that's not very good. It's nothing. It's nothing like over the top, like above and beyond. Yeah. So I would say, well, under. You said undiscovered gem restaurant. Yeah, yeah it's hidden, like a hidden gem, gem. like a place, like a place that you know about that's that maybe not as celebrated as. So as strangely, can I give a whole experience? I'm not answering this question yeah. correctly. Peru. Okay. Peru had the best food I've ever eaten in my life, hmm. which was I wouldn't think that it would be that, but the ceviche. Yeah, there's ceviches, like these yeah. little restaurants on the beach and it's funny the way they look at the beach is not the way we do the beach belongs to the people they say so you can't really build on the beach because it belongs to the people and doesn't belong to any corporation or any one person um but there are right offset from the beach there's all these little ceviche spots where they like the fish is like alive and then five seconds later they put fresh lemon and lime on it and it's, it's still twitching yeah, yeah. It's so good nice. awesome. is that were you in lima 
I was in Lima. I have I had a friend who opened a restaurant there. He actually was one of my mentees. Um, so you opened a restaurant in Lima called I think Tertulia. Um, so they're doing an incredible work out there. And so I went out there for their their wedding, and then I loved it so much I went back. I want to go back there and surf cool. sometime. Have you been, Danny? I have been. Lima? Same. Yeah, did you go to Machu Picchu? Yeah, we did. That's, that's far, right? It's like yeah. three or four hours. It was a journey. Well, it's you fun, had to like, Yeah, it was great. I'd but love to go. The best food city I've been in is wow. Peru. Yeah. Lima. That's a that's good, a good one, tip. yeah. Um, well, we kind of already covered this, but I had most challenging celebrity request. Oh, well, that one, yeah, she didn't, Cheryl Crow's wasn't challenging. It was yeah. just, like, specific. I would say Lil Wayne's. Back. Yeah. Because I had to find, like, a certain type of cough syrup. And did you taste <laughs> oh it? God. No, I didn't taste okay. it. And then his manager yelled at me. I can't remember why. Because <laughs> he didn't taste it. <laughs> All right. Uh, he was very nice. color M&Ms, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that one I didn't get right, maybe. <laughs> uh, favorite fast food? <sighs> We've, we've found recently that a lot of people don't eat fast food. Which I don't I thought, eat fast food. Yeah, okay, and I yell at my fine. husband whenever he eats it. What is he, he hides he hides But the, he doesn't drink, so that's his vice, the exactly. fast food. It is a shameful thing. He hides thing. the thing. He hides the receipts for me. Yeah. So I, 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 Yeah, I'm... I'm like Tim had it today. If I eat fast food, I, it was out of necessity. I, I, had, I had a quarter pounder. So defensive about <laughs> it. Really, I am defensive about it. Like I feel shame. Uh, I will hide. I will hide the McDonald's bag or Taco Bell bag if it's in my car. I'm like, I'll pull over and put it in a dumpster before going home because I don't want Shannon to be like, that's you give me. Sh-. Well, she'd be like, oh yeah. yeah. What, what that's you what I do. I just give yeah. him a little shit. But no, he, yeah. my he, wife would not care at all. My husband can eat like four double cheeseburgers back to back. He also goes through like a million calories a day. Like he skates. Yeah, he's probably burning. He like burns a million crazy. calories. Yeah. yeah. And so it, yeah, let him eat what he wants. It, that's why I don't so what's, say anything. What's his fast food choice? Or is he hiding it so well? Any fast food. He eats like he just eats double cheeseburgers all the time. So much so that like all the guys when we lived in New Mexico, there's a skate shop called Filter in Albuquerque. They all call him Cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> They're like cheeseburger. Who it's does, like actually a verb. Is he sponsored? Uh, he skates for Vans. Oh, um, cool. But he does a lot of like he does a lot of photo shoots now. He's I think. I don't know how old he is. I think he's forty-seven. Okay, maybe. But he does a lot. He does a lot of photo shooting now, so he takes photos. People. So he's like OG, but he skates like for, Tony Hawk. Yeah, he's era. definitely OG. But yeah, he skates for Hops, which is a small brand out of New York. They're cool. awesome. I love them. And then Vans and a couple other companies. But nice, yeah, cool. That's why all of my gear is Hops gear. Oh yeah, there you go. Yeah, shout out Hops. Shout hops. out Hops skateboard. Woo-woo. All right. What is you have an impressive wine list at the at the winery. What is your favorite at the moment? Ooh, Eslina. I'm such an Eslina fan. Tell us about it. Uh, Eslina is a female South South African owned wine, a female owned South African wine, um, and she just she came up during the apartheid. So the story and just the magnitude of somebody who a, a black woman who created a wine brand during the apartheid to me in South Africa is just nuts. Yeah. Um, so just, I think the adversity first is like that. And then when you taste the grapes, like, Oh my God, it's like spicy at the same time. It's, it's like deep and complex, but at the same time, it's like not, it's not fruity at all. It's just, it's very complex in the flavors and the mouthfeel. It's a red blend. So mm. I, I'm, I'm a spicy wine drinker. So I don't know if that's a correct way to describe it, but I like, I like a red wine that's like deep with a little bit of spice. Okay. But it goes with everything. So. And do, do you know who distributes it offhand? I can look it up on Pro-V or whatever. I should know who distributes it. I actually don't. How do we spell this? A-S-L-I-N-A. Okay, cool. Eslina. Eslina. All right. Eslina. Thank you. Yes, All right. A good tip right there. Really good. And what, really cool story. What is your favorite cocktail? Hmm. I think my favorite cocktail right now is the things to do on my list. 
uh, the things yeah. to do. Uh, that has a we make all of we make all of our syrups in house, so we have a really beautiful apple vanilla syrup, um, and it goes with uh, reposado tequila and um, cognac, and we use Nyak cognac, which is a brand out of Brooklyn, I think. Um, but it just makes a really great cocktail. So cool. But apple vanilla syrup is just like I think yeah. that's what is like. That's the a perfect thing. kind of compliment for the notes of the cognac and the. It's repo. really good. But before that, it was uh, mezcal negroni, a white mezcal negroni. Okay, cool. And do you have a favorite like base spirit? Because you've named cognac, tequila, mezcal. Yeah, I think. Like if you're at a cocktail, he's bar, asking because he's going to design you a cocktail. Yeah, yeah. I, if, you're, I, if you're at a cocktail bar, what are you gravitating toward? I go between mezcal and tequila. Cool. Yeah. And but, something like refreshing or something. I mean, because you one drink was yeah. stirred, you know. Spicy wine, spicy cocktail or no? I like spicy cocktail. I'm a spicy cocktail okay. person. All right, cool. Like margaritas are boring, but I like them. Yeah, for sure. But in New Mexico, everyone drinks ma- margaritas. So it's really important. Um, but I also am mildly allergic to most alcohol. I learned that in New Orleans the hard way. Wow. I'll break out so in highs if I drink. Too much? I think it's the distillation process, maybe. Hmm. But so, like, mezcal and tequila, you don't have reactions to? Not at all. I'm totally good. Wow. Huh. It's really strange. I actually told the doctor that in New Orleans, and they're like, people aren't allergic to alcohol. No. (laughs) (laughs) Teresa Surratt, Camp Fondawega, allergic to alcohol. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So, I would say always, I would go mezcal or or reposado tequila. All right. Cool. Good to know. Uh, On a similar note, what are some don't miss dishes on your menu right now? Ooh, at Brownsville Winery, don't mesh dishes would be the seafood gnocchi, really mm. rich, creamy goat cheese Alfredo sauce. Uh, comes with scallops and tiger shrimp, and the tiger shrimp are like really big, beautiful shrimp. Um, so that's really, really great with, with gnocchi. And then what else? Everyone else loves the fried shrimp. I think it's really good. Again, it's buttermilk breaded and fried. And so we had to have like... We had to have something that felt really amazing, so and, and impressive for not just being fried shrimp. So I'd say that would be not to miss dishes. Right, Otherwise, cool. I think our Brussels sprouts are some of the best. I know it's boring, but no, it's not boring. Oh, it's good, it's really good. And then what's the uh, the savory watermelon dish? Oh, I forgot about that yeah. watermelon steak. So yeah, ooh, that is so good. I'm concepting a menu item for summertime. Can I say it on the show or are people yeah. going to steal my item? But they, well, you, you got to claim it on the right. pod. And, yeah. Claiming it. This is yeah. my trademark? Yeah. yeah. So we have watermelon steak and people come a lot for that. But there aren't a lot of options for vegan and vegetarians on the south side and healthier options also. So it's a seared, smoked, seared and brined piece of watermelon um, that we saute and then it comes with a vegan feta cheese, a local mash and a little bit of enoki mushrooms on top. Really good. It's sweet, smoky, savory, delicious. Um, but for summertime, I want to do a watermelon nigiri, so on oh, a cool. on a oh, piece yeah. of crispy rice. Wow. So it will look exactly like like an ahi tuna yeah. nigiri. Yeah. Um, but we fry the rice so it's like a little bit crispy, and then put a little bit of a wasabi aioli or something. I feel like that's a good summer thing, but it cool. tastes savory. And yeah. I just tried it for our Valentine's Day menu, and people really liked it. So that sounds yeah. great. Very cool so. idea. Uh, what trivia category would you dominate, other than skate brands? I can name almost. I can do. I could probably do skate brands. I can almost name any song within like thirty sec or maybe. I can within, name that tune. Within like five seconds. Oh of like wow. Hearing the beginning of a song. I don't know why. Have you ever had to do it music. on? No one's ever done it. It's not, do you guys have the game here? No, oh, but okay. like you know, they do it on like uh, the I've, drive and stuff. Different radio stations. I've never done you it. You win some money doing it. But like that. any genre or any genre. Wow, wow. that's a super. Do you play an instrument? Are you um, like musically inclined? I played piano uh, growing up. 
Uh, let's see. That's it. Hmm. My little brother plays drums. He plays every instrument. He can play drums. He can sing. He can, I don't know. He had like a punk band in high school. So Whoa. He's, he's local cool. brother? Uh, he is local. Cool. <laughs> he lives there. Uh, all right. To what do you attribute your success? My parents. I think my parents set the stage for self-discipline. And <laughs> I think self-discipline is what, it's a huge proponent in being successful, but I think also, you know, letting me know that I could do anything. I've never in my brain thought that there was nothing that I couldn't do. So I think that starts at your early years. So I think my parents letting me know that I was able to do everything was, was really important. So Good answer. And then your last question, what is something that bars or restaurants do that might annoy you? Deep thinking. Steal the watermelon nigiri idea. I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I've ever had anything that's. I think dress codes are annoying. That's like a for good one. Staff or for oh, no for, people for diners for, for diners. Dining. Yeah, I agree. That's, that's a. I, I'm surprised that hasn't come up before, has it? Yeah, Tim loves dress codes for staff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like everyone to look uniform <laughs> with a very specific label inside. Shout out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I don't know. I think it doesn't make sense when people. Tim, yeah. you could flip it on us, man. You could have everyone have to wear the same thing coming in. So you get to the door, <laughs> That's and we all have brilliant. to put on a stock outfit. If that we might be a good pop up. We should enforce a uniform That'd be a for sick diners. Pop up mm-hmm. where like stock comes up with like a custom kind of like. You know, like a jumpsuit or something that we all have to don. I could see that. Like, uh, so you can all feel the same way while you're dining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Or just do like white jumpsuits and have a, like a big food fight. Yeah, that would be cool. And, yeah, that's your palette. Yeah, great idea, Danny. Yeah, you got it. A great Anything note to, to end on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I, think right. I do want to mention one more thing. Yeah, yeah. We got a wine dinner coming up, so we have. Um, have you guys heard of Ole Obrigado? They, um, this, there's an incredible rep for Ole and Obrigado. Um, they have a huge portfolio of uh, Portuguese wines. Okay. And so um, we're doing a wine dinner for International Women's Wine Day, um, mm. I believe March 6th. So we um, are pairing up with uh, Brooke, and uh, we have a celebrity guest chef from Chicago. We had to bring in a female chef. Our chef's not a female. Nice. So we brought bring in a female celebrity chef. And so we're really excited to do a, a course dinner where it'll be like a mix between family style and, and Portuguese. It's actually our second Portuguese wine dinner. Hmm. The first one went so well that... You're like, let's run it back. Yeah, we're going to do another one. Cool. Is our tickets out yet? Tickets are out. Cool. Brownswellewinery.com. All right, cool. Great. Uh, well, that's a wrap on Cecilia. Awesome. Thanks so yeah, much thank for joining us. So yeah, thank you guys. And that concludes our conversation with Cecilia Cuff, otherwise known as Cece, to her friends and family. Close friends only. Close friends only. (laughs) I don't even think about using the name Cece. Yeah. Um, But yeah, as always, please check us out at Joiners Pod on Instagram, where we have throwback photos on Thursdays, special cocktail recipes. Now we have little clips and reels from our video content. We're just doing it all. We're doing it all. Multimedia. Yeah. We're expanding. Multimedia moguls. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so this episode was produced by Matt Haddock and music by Captain Cuts. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Mm